0: Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. The With your Keepers of Mysteries, Jen Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman, And be inspired.
1: Welcome to the Sanctum Secorum podcast, where we plumb the depths of Appendix N as it pertains to the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game. We are here to help you serve these literary offerings at your DCC RPG table. I'm Keeper Jen. And with me tonight are Keeper Mark.
2: Hello, everybody.
1: And Keeper of Mysteries, Bob. Hey there! And tonight we're going to stray from the path, not too far, but uh, we're, we're going to hit some... Movie
0: night. Movie <laughs> night.
1: Movie night. We're, we're going to do something that didn't involve, uh, you know, eight hours of reading for a change. And I suppose for this one we have uh, Joan Troyer to thank. Yeah, tonight we're going to review Hundra. Yay! Alright, take it away, Bob.
0: Born in a tribe of fierce warrior women, Hundra has been raised to despise the influence of men. An archer, fighter, and sword fighter. Hundra is superior to any male. Hundra finds her family slain and takes a vow of vengeance until one day
2: she meets her match. She's a fighter and sword fighter?
1: I know, right? (laughs) Okay, well... Hundra
0: apparently needs editors. (laughs) She needs a strong editor with a quill of blood. Hundra needs Jen.
1: (laughs) Oh, Hundra needs something, man.
2: (laughs) It definitely has that Spaghetti Western vibe, you know, coming Mm -hmm. into it from the history of, you know, Sergio Leone movies. It's, It's taking that and mixing it with the swords and sandal peanut butter, I guess, to come out with something on the other side.
0: (laughs) I mean, you could make the argument that Hundra is sword and sandals, and you can sort of make the argument that it is a world of sword and sorcery, we just haven't seen the magic, because it kind of has little bits from both. Mm. The weird city and bow before the bull. And let's face it, a religion that would be perfectly at home with a bunch of belts being stolen. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. The movie opens with a 12-minute long battle scene before the opening credits.
2: Well, and let's, that talk, was about, let's spectacular. talk about let's talk about Yeah, that that 12 minutes is probably 5 minutes of actual battle and then 7 minutes of slow motion.
0: So <laughs> Oh, come on, (laughs) come on. That opening battle washes away any illusion that, unlike the women in every other 80s sword and sorcery film, these women are not the helpless women typical of the movies of the era. They go out hard. The woman with a quarterstaff fighting with her daughter clinging to her back? Come on! Yeah. Spearing someone through the chest with the spear that is through (laughs) your chest?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It is. It is by far and away one of the most brutal battle scenes you're going to find in an 80s sword and sorcery film. Uh,
2: but I'll at the give same you time, that. That you have to, at least from my point of view. I mean, this came out after Conan, and, and obviously obviously was heavily influenced by that movie. And, and Red Sonia. In
1: and- well,
2: it came out before Red Sonia, actually. Oh, it did. So it, that it has that going for it in the sense of it's a precursor to Red Sonia, but it's it's very derivative of certain elements of Conan, and and that. Opening battle scene is very similar to the opening movie scene from Conan. And in fact, there's a defiant woman in that scene, the mother who's holding Conan's hand, and of course, you know, she doesn't have the quite the vengeance that these women do, or the vitality. And you're right, they they do fight and defend themselves against. What presumably is a barbarian horde that's out just to revenge because they're misogynistic creeps? I guess <laughs> it's not really explained. Kind but of the overall feel is that it is a very
0: and it actually makes Hundra I think very topical for today. It is a very patriarchal world they live in, and they are the women that have decided to live without men. And the men to the point,
2: hate them for it. Well, right. to the
1: point where even the male children are given away.
2: Yeah. N- yeah. They want I mean, no
1: they, men in their tribe whatsoever.
2: They're Amazons in a different context. And yeah.
0: Matt Simber, the director, has an entire career filled with projects with strong women. He did the original series Glow, just right? oh, wanted wrestling.
2: Mm-hmm. He, Wait, did he, did, docu- he did the TV show Glow. Or the
0: original did- TV show Glow was wow. Simber. He did the documentary, the Sexually Liberated Female. He did another film with Lorraine Landon, and Lorraine Landon was originally in the running to play Red Sonia, but because she had played Hundra, they decided to go with a different person.
1: Well, no, it I was think it would have been a better how- movie
0: if they had used her. But
1: yeah. well, I don't know. I The way she kind of grinned and looked like she was having fun with it at times.
0: Oh yeah, that second big battle.
1: There were fun parts to it with her. I just think it really could have benefited from a woman writer as well because simber was also one of the writers for the screenplay god i so wanted to like this but (laughs) you have that instant capitulation she goes to see the final elder who says you must have this daughter no i'm gonna stay a virgin forever because men are icky but you must do this fine okay i guess i guess then
0: But the thing is, it was, but we die out and our struggle dies out. If you do not have a child, the men win.
1: Um, But Hundra barely had the wherewithal to roll her eyes as she goes, fine, okay, I guess I'll change my mind. I (laughs) I disagree
0: that she capitulated that quickly. There was was quite a bit of disagreement about Uh, that. And it it again, though, boiled down to, or the men win.
1: The writing and there were parts where writing was just way too shallow to stomach here and there. There well, there were some good aspects to it and there were some thought-provoking things along it, but there there were some scenes that were a little less than comfortable to watch. There were some that, oh, my God, I felt embarrassed on behalf of womankind. And- <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean,
0: for the first 42 minutes of the movie, it's kind of interesting to see men portrayed in a fashion similar to the way women are normally portrayed in these movies. Because for the first 42 minutes, the men were just cardboard stereotypes. They shout, who belch, fart their way across the scene. And mm-hmm. they are totally unlikable. And I'm sitting there watching this going, yep, men suck. <laughs> yeah, men suck. Oh man, men suck. I mean, even Hundra's dog beast gets grief because he's a male. And so he's a cowardly dog. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, well, again, I think because of that, it is kind of timely for today's society. Yes, there are certainly things in it that are uncomfortable, but it's kind of weird because the movie is more comic book movie than like, conan you know what i mean the the fight scene in the city where she's just kind of smiling and laughing as she's brutally throwing people off buildings and cliffs that's well sans the murder portion is like spider-man beating people up and quipping it it has kind of that same lightheartedness that scene is is camp but i think the camp portions of the movie are intentional
2: Well, it's an odd mixture, though. I would, I would say that the tone sort of swings wildly and it's sort of covered up by these elements of humor, but you have some very brutal rape depictions and it's, or at least off screen, you know, depictions, but some of them are are sort of forced in the, in, in front of the viewer. The opening sequence. The the opening scene, but also that scene where she is getting some revenge on the farting and belching potential rapist that she came to go and and inseminate her. Right. And, And it's, it's just played for camp, but. You know, it's speaking of a caricature. I, you know, I don't know how campy that scene was. Because you're right, that is kind of an uncomfortable – well, not kind of. It are, is an uncomfortable are scene. Are you
1: talking about the one toward the end?
2: No, towards the middle, where, where she goes and visits the encampment of women who oh. are servient to the guy.
0: And I think that entire sequence, uncomfortable as it is, reinforces why she needs to do this as the enslaved women – stay with this guy because they have never been shown another way. I'm oh, sure. I
2: mean, but yes, tonally the movie is all over the place. Oh, and, and it's sort of echoed by the soundtrack, which it's Ennio uh, Morricone, oh, yeah. uh, oh, who's, who, who has a very sort of light, sort of delightful soundtrack. It's one of the things, the elements of the movie that appeal to me the most. Just coming at it from the background of the other movies he's done, just the tonally, sort of, it sort of takes you out of the really violent aspects that if you'd played it really straight it would have been a much more serious and much darker film
1: yeah if you had the conan soundtrack to it yeah right
0: i think if this movie had been played wholly straight it would have been too dark yeah i think so too it would have gone from uncomfortable to i don't know if i can watch this
1: well i mean there were components of realism in there i mean she tried to help lebron's granddaughter escape capture when she was in the city but Mm -hmm. she failed and yeah. it wasn't one of those, oh, well, you get a second shot. It was out and out. She failed. And, and she was
0: never seen again.
1: Yeah. And wow. that happens yeah, sometimes. That. Um, actually, she was seen later. She was uh, one of the reformed oh, women who had yeah. been presented to Neil to the bull. And just to get this out of the way, my other definite turnoff was when she was, quote unquote, trading skills with the harem leader. Because... There's a scene where rather than save a fellow woman from being raped, she instead has to coax the woman, mid-rape, mind you, to push the man away herself rather than just going to her rescue. So I'm just sitting there going, would you just go kick their ass already and put us out of our misery? And no, she has to wait until the other woman realizes that she's actually too good for this and pushes him off herself. And then they can kick butt together. I'm like... Really, <laughs> colored gen unimpressed here. Well, yeah, but to be fair,
0: <laughs> Hundra is no hero. She's an adventurer, a reaver, a cutpurse, a heathen slayer, <laughs> a tight-lipped warlock guarding long-dead secrets. Definitely not a hero. You are so yeah. Here, <laughs> this is. <laughs> it's really interesting because the first time I saw this movie was several years ago, and I enjoyed it then. I enjoy it now, but the entire movie takes on a different meaning. Today, in in a in not just the the Me Too era, but in light of what happened in Toronto and and everything else, this movie really lays those things bare before people today were really thinking about them.
2: I, th- I think for the time, and this would have been interesting to watch at the time because it it would have been colored very differently for the people who watched it. And, uh, you know, I, I would have been very young to have seen this particular film, but, mm-hmm. you know, it would have resonated as more of an outspoken attempt at-
1: Like an opinion piece. Right,
2: like an opinion piece. And and I think it would have been dismissed much more. It is interesting. It, I, I, was, I had my expectations high. I'll say that when I was going into it. And, and they were sort of tempered by some of the tone, some of the introductory material, the quality of the cinematography doesn't hold up right? This is not a movie that is going to be lauded for some of its action fights, for its you know surrealism in terms of the depictions of combat or things like that, although I think there's some very neat set pieces that are that are part of it <laughs> but by the end of the movie, I felt that it had a clear message that was powerful in the context of especially in the context of history of when this movie was produced right and and it was very counter to what was being done in this genre at that time, although not necessarily particularly it, – it may not have been voice – the only voice of this type across all movies or all media, right? Because it, it obviously right. the 70s and the counter-revolution and things like that. But it, it, it does have a particular takeaway of tempering that message of male-oriented fantasy, which is valuable. Which is so valuable.
0: strange. Because of the way this movie was promoted. Do either of you know what the tagline for this movie was? Unless it was
1: fighter, sword fighter. A
0: new erotic (laughs) adventure. That is how this movie (sighs) Uh, was built.
1: I'm really glad I didn't know that going into it
0: definitely an accurate uh, statement. But so it's it's really interesting. I think once distribution got this movie, they had no idea what to make of it. And they're like, well, we've got a, we've got a woman, let's go with that. And and that also kind of shows how much things have changed. Well, and how little things have changed as well. But
1: I, I will say it was a little easier to deal with than Lair of the White Worm. <laughs> but I'm glad I didn't see this when it came out. Because, well, I would have been in single digits for age. But (laughs) I'm also glad I didn't see this around the same time that I saw Lair of the White Worm. I would have hated both of them unequivocally. So getting back to this one, there were some strange parts. There were some weird parts. There were some unsettling parts. There were also some kind of cool parts. Um, Beast, the dog, had been trained to ride the horse. And to lead
0: him around.
1: The horsework itself was amazing Mm -hmm. where she's trying to dodge the little dude with the pitchfork and then the method of cleaning those pitchfork wounds on the horse it made perfect sense there were some really cool parts in there i really liked the fact that the primary villain had a fascination with cleanliness that definitely proved to be his downfall (laughs) yeah that was weird
0: well, how about Lorraine Landon doing all but one of her own stunts? She did all of her own fights and she did everything, all the stunts except the high fall. I mean, Lorraine Landon it was a tough woman to begin with. So I mean, she was perfect for the role.
1: I, I won't argue that point. Yeah. She definitely had fun with it, too.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you could tell, like, I, I think I made a point later to talk about the horse riding skills because. That generally showcased that she was comfortable riding horses in stunt context, and mm-hmm. it made me maybe really want to look at that as a an aspect of expanding sort of from a game setting. But that gets us you know, into a further segment, I guess.
1: <laughs> okay. So moving on to those other segments, plenty of things in here to stat. Bob, you usually start us off.
2: Well, uh,
0: right off the bat, I would want to stat up Hundra and Beast.
1: Well, yeah,
0: I want to make an Amazon class based on on Hundress village, the chief of the cave people, the little person on his pony that was fearless, crazy, and face painted
1: that weird on
0: <laughs> that scene was just confusing. I will admit that you were talking about tonally all over the place. There's a midget with face paint and a and 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 a and a, and a pitchfork, yeah, like you used to muck stalls, and he is. Riding around and around Hundra's horse and poking at her, uh,
1: uh, and he's by himself. What is he guarding?
2: Yeah, um, and he's near the he's near the prophet. And like, what's she doing there? In the credits, oh, he is I chief he was of a the random cave
1: encounter.
0: people. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, a random wilderness encounter! Awesome, I can build a table off that.
2: <laughs> that is awesome.
0: Hundra had some. Killer mighty deeds, and mm-hmm. just based on the opening sequence alone, I'd like to make alternate rules. Uh, there's already uh DCC has rules for death rows for monsters, yeah. Death rows for PCs, like the woman who staggers forward with a spear through her chest just to kill somebody. I think I'm going to make an Amazon class. That's that's I'm going to get. Awesome I'm going to make an Amazon idea. class, and they're going to get death rows. That's all there is to that's it.
2: That's an awesome idea.
0: That's great. Yeah, I mean, those are the things that I took away from it. I, oh yeah. What about you, Jen?
1: Well, for me, you know, as awesome as that horse was, it was never named. And it's obviously not a normal horse. It's clearly a warrior's horse. And I would love to actually get some mounted combat going on in some of my games. I would love to stat the horse Mm -hmm. up. We have mounted combat rules, but how often do we ever get to use them? I would like to stat up Kushaba, the final elder, because... The idea of the old woman who isn't quite a shaman or sorceress, but you know she's seen some stuff.
0: <laughs> Fair.
1: <laughs> and you already got the, what'd you call him? The cave people.
0: He was the cave people chief, is how he is credited.
1: Okay, mm, okay. So for the people who haven't seen this movie yet, imagine, if you will, a very short person wearing full face paint, like full. Uh, not just woad or whatnot, but half of the face was red, half of it was blue. There was no rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. It, it was it was surreal. It was surreal, definitely. And I think you could also stat up the bull as a deity or patron of worship, because...
0: Mm-hmm. Be kind of oogy, but you could.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, they, they were the men of the sign, and the sign was of the bull. Yeah. So that is what she had to go on. Travel south until you see the sign. Uh Okay.
0: You know, since Mark was mentioning similarities to Conan, the first time you see the sign of the bull, doesn't it look a lot like the cultist symbol from Conan the Barbarian? Just switch the horns does, for it,
2: serpents? It does, yeah. I, I think we all touched on the fact that you need a war pony for your halfling and <laughs> <laughs> he's able to, I mean, he's, he's quite dexterous in the film. He's, he's able to harass and Harry Hundra, you know, with his, his little charges and his pitchfork even scores the only blood I think that we see come off of her in the whole film. The only time that she gets injured was when she gets her, her legs scratched up by the pitchfork. Maybe. So
1: yeah, it outside a of a bloody lip. Yeah.
2: So definitely want to give your halflings, especially the crazy two-fighting, two-sword halflings, your war ponies, and stat that up. Hey, Jan Wilbur would like a war
1: pony. (laughs) No.
2: But but I agree that the mounted combat and how frequently that came up during the movie in the context of the movie, but it doesn't come up in adventures. And there are rules for it in the core book, and they are enough to guide judges, but I also think that... There are some additional kind of skilled writing rules that you could come up with, especially with regards to maybe mighty deeds. You have some capability of warriors to do that.
1: Especially thinking about how she made her way through the city.
2: Right. And they okay. commented on, you know, her ability to sort of harass the guards and control the horse and interfere, even though she wasn't able to prevent them from taking the granddaughter. She clearly had the ability to use her horse as a weapon in a way that it would be great to see that in, in some adventure context. So I think you could come up with more expanded rules for that mounted combat. Um, I thought that uh, I need to write up some pantsless guards based on <laughs> seeing seeing the uh, the priests uh, the city the city that chose to arm its guards from the waist up, but not so much from the waist down. I guess it might have been hot in that city.
1: Well, yeah. I, uh, I did notice. I did notice that a lot of them were wearing bloomers. <laughs> Just like cheerleaders, uh,
2: but clearly there there's an echo there of the chainmail bikini and and how well your pantsless guards can be defending themselves in this uh, with their armor. So those are getting an honorary stat in the uh, the oh, next God. companion for sure.
1: <laughs> I love it.
2: And then kind of I mean I brought this up a little facetiously at the beginning, but the idea that a lot of the combat in the movie does take place in a time extended. From a filmmaking standpoint, certainly, but also from a perception of the individuals that are in it, point of view, it seemed like. Because some of the combat, the death scenes, for example, the death rows, you know, would be extended over sort of multiple beats. And it almost seemed like they was shifting speeds subtly in a way that just made me think that there's potential use for that in a combat scene or a class or a spell that can sort of subtly alter it it may be a mixture of existing spells that are out there like slow and haste and things like that. But just the idea and the visual aspect of what this film was able to depict for me is sort of that what I can imagine a spell like slow or haste is doing from the perspective of the PCs, but it doesn't translate across the table or the judge doesn't Mm. necessarily communicate in the same way. Because it's just this perception of from this individual's point of view, combat is either slowed down way down or sped up quite a bit and just... Being able to filter that to the players in a way and, and how you could do that mechanically it just made me think about in, in trying to determine if there's some mechanic that you could do to lend that aspect of combat. So I want to explore that a little bit just to, to say relative times for different types of fighting groups or different types of fighting styles or different classes.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, you could almost do that by your list of initiative. And maybe after every two segments in that round, there's another scene of someone's death throw,
2: Yeah, some sort of advance in the action that's based on the initiative timing, right? And and there's an example of that, I think, in, I want to say, last year's Gen Con tournament that Harley Stroh wrote, that'll be coming out this year as part of the program guide, I believe. (laughs) Presumably. (laughs) Presumably. And in the in scene, he does something with initiative where it's basically counting down by initiative based on sort of the, the rank order, and different things happen to the room or the scene as the initiative is being counted down. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at in terms of, and you're blending, you know, with the initiative that made me think of that particular scene in that adventure, which, like I said, I think would be a good way of introducing. Relative time to combat in a different way than it's than we. It's the standard sort of everybody takes you know the the action and we move on. Take an action, move on. Take an action, move on. So, anyways, it it, this is is probably game systems that capture. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was interesting just from the point of view of, you know, it seemed like a very silly thing to do. I just imagine like Peter Jackson sort of working as a best grip off the side and thinking someday I'll use this for Frodo. And <laughs> 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 But um, it was interesting from that point of view, because it did seem like they were playing around with the context of some people's time was slower than others. And that was what was I, I took away from that. So
1: it's actually pretty cool. in being movies fits right in with the props and audio. I know, Mark, you mentioned there were a lot of cool bits of set dressing. I think, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of grasping at straws for something to bring to the table in a physical format for this one. The best thing I could come up with on short notice would be random bits of studded leather just to emulate her <clears throat> armor. I use the term loosely.
0: <laughs> yeah. If she had remained kind of swaddled and armored up like she is the opening of the movie I think this movie would have been even better because then you yeah. don't have then you don't have the bare midriff armor of the 80s right but well, it know, was the I, 80s and,
1: we're yeah. not going all dragora's dungeon I mean i no. <laughs> 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 uh, I'll give you that much but it just seemed like it was kind of in weird midriff areas and yeah okay whatever and of course the sign of the bull if you put that on the table uh yeah oh, yeah what the hell are you sitting down to <laughs> Keep
2: Very players fair. on their toes i will say going back to the armor one thing that my wife who i watched this movie with pointed out At the end scenes, there's a battle with the chieftains, Mm -hmm. and there's clearly one chieftain who is wearing nipple armor. Yes! Uh, Yes! Oh my gosh! This is gold-plated nipple armor. He's got gold-plated nipple armor, and I was- Now I've got to stop the chieftains. (laughs) Yeah, you have to stop the chieftains. (laughs) And whether, I mean, clearly it was intentional in sort of a dig, but it was was just so funny to see that. I had to bring that up. Yes, yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh, so hey, yeah, there's something else to bring to the table. That won't confuse people. (laughs) Sure. All right. Uh, it's
0: kind of the reverse dig. Normally, the woman's in the, the tight chainmail bikini top, and instead you've got a guy who's got gold nipple armor.
1: And no pants. <laughs> and no
0: pants. <laughs> Thankfully, he had a long tunic, so.
1: Again, don't know what you're in for. Mark, I'll, I'll move over Save to us, you. Mark.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think I can save you with, with the, the thing I took away was I wanted turkey legs hidden in folds of clothing at the table, you know, just so that people can reach in and grab a snack whenever they want <laughs> so-
1: Oh, that was a great scene. She dug through this dead guy's stuff and pulled out a turkey leg that was wrapped up for travel. Yep. That- just
2: started eating. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know? And how she always sort of contemptuously throws food at Beast throughout the movie. Like, she sort of just, like, reflexively Man jerks food over her shoulder or throws it at him because he's a male i guess and
1: yeah well, am i the only one thinking she's not gonna be a great mom <laughs>
0: there's a reason she's giving away the boy <laughs> but you know the oh, the tricky leg this just this past friday <laughs> I, I ran uh, the tribe of og and the gift of sus and they killed the big boar and so what did they do they stopped they can't they started eating it and just it's sort of the same thing well uh we're here let's just have big, greasy gobbets of meat in our hands.
1: Yay! Oh, hey, okay, we killed something. Uh, um, let's eat it.
2: <laughs> but it's very Renfair, sort of yes. echoing that. And I think that if you get that smell and you get that, that sort of thing at the table, I, I'd love to just sort of have a game where I can do that justifiably. And calling back to Hundra is, but, is the time to do so.
1: That, that, but that word, justifiably, that, that is succinct. <laughs>
2: Uh, music, it's, it's one of the things, you know, anything by Morricone, especially the Western ones, which, you know, I kind of grew up in the context of knowing his music and that, you know, that includes like Two Meals for Sister Sarah, A Fistful of Dollars, The Good and the Bad and the Ugly. There's and there are a bunch of other movies that are non-Western, non-Spaghetti Western based that he's obviously done, you know, more for. I think that kind of light tone and sort of fluttering flutes and things like that, that's kind of a, a nice bridge for the audio aspect of bringing that into a game session as well fluttery. what about you bob
1: i like it yeah flutter yeah.
2: for me this is a props for the dm sort
0: of
1: thing judge
0: for the judge i'm sorry i saw playing <laughs> little brown books um uh, but a a bowl of water for hand washing Give the villain a physical idiosyncrasy that you can carry out at the table. Yeah. You know, every time yeah. someone looked at him funny, the main villain's washing his hands. And that just reminded me of the ball bearings in the Kane Mutiny. It just He just had to be rolling the ball bearings. This guy had to be washing his hands. A prop like that, something that you can pick up and fidget with that signifies to the characters a transition from – you as like the judge telling them things to
2: you portraying the character yeah, that's that's a really that's that's a really great because that that like like Jen I didn't even Think about that as a, as an aspect that you could play with from an NPC. And you brought it up in Bob, obviously the prophet. I love that aspect. You know, it's developed so much character so succinctly in the, in the film. So,
0: yeah, just right off the bat, you knew that he wasn't, he wasn't a good guy. And you also knew that he was broken and they were all broken. They were not good people and they were all weak in their own ways. And, uh, I thought that carried through and was portrayed nicely. Music. Yeah. Ennio Marconi yes. You can get the Hundra soundtrack. Okay. He did the soundtrack to Red Sonja.
1: Oh, he did?
0: Yes, he did. He also did the soundtrack to The Thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, which is... <laughs> it's a great it's a great soundtrack i mean it's a lovely movie too
1: i, I, and, I don't know if it's the feel you're going for for your well deal,
2: kind,
0: <laughs> kind of yes kind of no i mean some of his other stuff is some, some of his 80s stuff is very synth poppy and and certainly wouldn't go along he also did the soundtrack to exorcist Two: the heretic and there's some really creepy dark evocative stuff in there that is just wonderful i mean anyway, morricone he's done more more soundtracks than John Williams by far. So there's a lot to go through just looking at stuff and trying to pick and choose what is going to fit your tone at the table. But if you find something by Ennio Morricone that is in your wheelhouse, it's really hard to go wrong. Some of, some of his stuff, uh, like the good, the bad and the ugly, for example, most of the music really, really good. Couple songs you'll want to Pole because they just don't fit but uh they don't really fit with the movie either but you know it was experimental nobody knew what he was doing then. but yeah that's any more funny I just need an excuse to play Ennio Morricone during a game, or while I'm writing, or while I'm reading, or while I'm doing taxes, or while I'm recording a podcast. I just, you know, any any excuse at all to listen to his music (laughs) is a good excuse. I mean, you can't go wrong. So, that's my thoughts on that, because it's just, his music is very evocative and inspirational. And actually, thinking of that...
2: Mark. So you mentioned making an Amazon class, and I, I know there's a couple of good base barbarian classes that have been done for the Gong Farmers Almanac recently. I would say 2016. There was one by Judge Giogo, and so he did a barbarian class that has a kind of a unique take on it that I think would be worth checking out.
1: Did we get that class for one of our uh, Sanctum companions already?
0: Giogo's barbarian class, mm-hmm. yes.
1: Okay. It was in oh, our
0: cool. episode twelve companion. So oh, cool. So companion number twelve has that. <laughs> we also nice. had barbarian classes by Aramadi, Giogo, and of course Madman Betty
1: Oh yeah.
2: Oh wow. Yeah. So I would say take a look at those as a as just try to get a sense of where to start from for the Amazon class because I, I think those are good tie-ins to the material and to what the community has, has thought of because the barbarian class itself is one of the AD and D, you know, sort of going back that far, but DCC has enough room to make many unique takes on it. Um, Going back to another Gong Farmers Almanac entry that this reminded me of in 2016, there was a Children of Ibic, which was by Dave Powers. And Ibic is the bullheaded Lord of the Black Sun, God of War, Wealth, Dancing, and Lavaciousness. And it's a write up of both the cult that follows Ibic as well as the God himself as a, as a religious figure. So that's, that's wow. a great article. It's very much echoes the sort of temple order of the bull but with you know magic and swords and fantasy swords and magic uh, that is part of the dcc vibe so definitely check that out I mean, there's many examples of different cults and different adventure modules. It really kind of called me back to people in the pit quite a bit. The capture of virgin sacrifices or sacrifices to the beast in the pit, sort of echoing you know, what happens to the women that are enslaved for the chieftain's pleasures or enslaved as part of this cult. So I would say that you could take the context of what the Order of the Bull and place that into the people of the pit, turn it into... You know, much more of a rescue that's oriented towards what Hunter goes through, that the women are being taken and they have to go into the pit to rescue them and encounter the Order of the Bull and its creations. So I think that would be another one that I would nice. probably nice. I think of. Yeah. What about you, pa? Right off the bat, I think the temple of the
0: bull is Itself kind of feels like it could fit into the Lankmar setting, especially since we've got clerics that aren't clerics. And uh, essentially, we just have this emperor oh. priest running things.
1: So maybe someone on the street of the gods, but not on the rich end?
0: Yeah, not on the high end. Or maybe <laughs> maybe just somewhere in No One, but not in Lankmar. Certainly right. some, something that could be used. In, in some ways, you could almost, especially having just run. The Tribe of Og and the Gift of Sus. You could almost update that just a little bit, and with some changes, I think you could blend that storyline and a Hundra storyline pretty well.
1: I was going to say, it might not even need a whole lot in the way of updates. Um,
0: No, instead of just traveling because you're looking for this thing that fell from the sky, you're traveling because the rest of your tribe has been wiped out and you are seeking, whether it's revenge or survival, and you travel through this dark forest and you face these other tribes. And let's face it, the Gnarl Gnarls in uh, the (laughs) tribe of Og and the Gift of Sus are... Quite honestly, a lot like the men, really, in uh, in Hundra. They, they hoot, they fart, they eat people. Uh, they're, I don't know. they're pretty horrible.
1: That rule about only being able to speak monosyllabically, I would go so far as to say that all of the zero level characters would be men then. Ha.
0: <laughs> Other than when, like, at the beginning of the movie and when speaking to the elder, Hundra does spend most of her time just going, No! So, I mean, I suppose you could go, yeah, ah, and give it a second syllable. But for the most part, as, as she's in combat, <laughs> it's it's pretty monosyllabic. So you could certainly do that as well. And frankly, if you haven't downloaded that free adventure yet, uh, you've got to. It's a really cool adventure.
1: And that's a Daniel J. Bishop.
0: It right. is. It was oh, uh, cool. through Mystic Bowl, and oh, they released it free.
1: Through Mystic Bowl. Oh, okay. nice. Yes, they
0: they said that they were working on it commercially, but cavemen adventures uh-huh. weren't being approved right then and there, <laughs> and uh, they eventually released it as a free adventure. It's got a new character race in it that you can play. It's got a patron. It's got cavemen. And yeah, you could hundra the daylights out of that adventure. So okay. Nice.
1: So that's going to have an even funnier tie-in with our feature adventure.
0: Dun-dun-dun. Well, what do <laughs> you Stay got, Jeff?
1: Honestly, Theater of the Hammed.
0: Because it's campy.
1: Like <laughs> <Led> the <by laughs> <80's> adventure. <laughs> not just the camp, but you don't take it too seriously. There's also the quests that are kind of meaningful, but it's hard to take them seriously, too, at the same time. But a few turns of phrase and and... Some of the the idiosyncrasies among the characters just reminded me of some of the challenges involved in that one. And the coursework on the top rampart doesn't hurt. The other one that came to mind was Jewels of the Carnifex, because you have the multiple cults there, as well as the male versus female regimen. You've got Mm. the sun god that is adamant that the Carnifex not be released, and... So, a little bit of, uh, shall we say, gender, tit-for-tat kind of thing going on. But, you know, since we mentioned it, we do have a feature for the show. And this episode, it's going to be The Trolls of Mistwood by David W. Fisher, Mm. uh, released through Shinobi 27 Games. For the Sinop, bold adventurers must investigate the return of menacing trolls to the isolated village of Mistwood. Menfolk of the village have seemingly been dragged away and devoured by these ravenous monsters. Will the adventurers discover the fate of these men in time to save not only Mistwood, but perhaps the realm from a dreaded plague? Nice. So the funny tie-in is that Daniel J. Bishop and Paul Wolfe are both among the editors on this one. So <laughs> I like that people work together. Yeah. Um, Not only is it a third-party publication, it was one of the earlier ones published back in 2014, and quite frankly, we have no fewer than six powerful female NPCs on screen, and that's what immediately drew me towards this one. I mean... Ultimately, you're looking at the walled-in city that needs defended, and you've got the perfect ramparts for Hundra to play chase across, and the women are expected to become something that they are not planning on being, but their elders say it has to happen.
2: I hadn't run or played this adventure and, and hadn't read it before. Prepping for the show, and it definitely struck me as having a unique tone and point of view for DCC, which I I, I really liked. I I, th- I think it's an excellent, uh, you know, it's a very long, you know, setting, right? It's got quite a bit of character development, quite a bit of history, and you know, motivations for the different NPCs. I liked it a lot. I think this is definitely one that you could drop into a campaign and bring your players into Mistwood for just a few nights and sequences, but they would come out of it with a real rich sort of place and what reasons and whys for what's going on in the village. Yeah,
1: you could even add replayability in there. Maybe there is extra quests to be gone on before they can actually finish the issue at hand. It is designed for characters between levels four and six, which for DCC is pretty high up there.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it.
1: it's tough to find characters that survived that long. I had one. Yep, he's my NPC now.
0: Yeah, Harley-Stroh made it retire.
1: <laughs> so speaking of NPCs, there's actually one in here, Batilda the Grey, could totally be Hundra, like, in her 50s, in her retirement age. You know, I retirement absolutely love Retirement from that. middle age, you know.
0: I think that is awesome. (laughs) Well, the undercurrent that runs behind this entire adventure, being careful not to give away secrets of the adventure, but the undercurrent that runs through the whole thing, that undercurrent is very Hundra. It it really is.
1: Battle of the sexes.
0: Yeah, just, you know. A
1: little bit. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And come on, in Hundra, weren't the men trolls? Weren't they really?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Come on. So
1: we're not far off. Okay.
2: (laughs) I was going to ask... Does this one have a sequel that Shinobi 27 Games put out, or am I misremembering?
0: There is Curse of Mistwood, and I believe that is the second in the series. And that continues from the Trolls of Mistwood, and it's another 70 pages of adventure and 20 pages of patrons, spells, magic items. So uh, just like Trolls of Mistwood is really a campaign book, so is Curse of Mistwood.
2: Yeah, it it expands upon the setting, which is already rich in trolls, and it's giving to the John Marr sort of approach of really detailing out a place.
1: I, I was just going there, yeah. Yeah,
2: and you're looking for an alternative place to set a campaign, I think these are great sort of adventures to take from and, uh, or and follow and up,
1: even because or even follow up, John yeah, it's high level is enough for right. the funnel through three or something along those lines. Right, yeah, good point. you could definitely take this and. Even though it's got a scripted flow for things, you could absolutely add more random encounters outside or throw them on little mini quests in between. Or
2: or mini random encounters with a halfling war pony.
1: Ha, I see what you did there. Ha, mini. Yeah.
0: And, and and maybe throwing a cowardly german <laughs> shepherd for good measure
1: as long as you don't make it into the papoose i think we're all okay with this <laughs> Right. But yeah
0: have the amazons save the city i mean with the npcs that are in place it's absolutely uh, you
1: perfect. kind of are yeah. yeah yeah and i love the options to befriend these npcs rather than making them enemies
0: yeah no, no definitely and
1: i know dcc is all about those npcs that you know there's no such thing as an NPC that isn't meant to be killed. Well, that is the case, but isn't it also a boon if you have a badass who used to be Hundra? Yeah. On your yeah no. side? Oh,
0: definitely. Definitely. I mean, had like that
1: kind of experience.
0: I-, I admit to being very guilty in the, well, that guy can die uh, <laughs> mindset. I remember certain playtests for Brandle and Red. Oh. <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean the head of that house insulted my family at the wedding? I kill him. <sighs> what? Yeah. Yeah. I forgot I wasn't playing my dwarf.
1: (laughs) With apologies to Steven Newton.
0: Did someone feed that thing again?
1: (sighs) Yes, but it looks like we've really hit the big time. Got an email from DM Kojo.
2: Is that dust?
1: (sighs) Hey there, keepers of mysteries. Just wanted to tell you how much I have enjoyed the podcast and the companion materials you guys are putting out there. Really great stuff. I was wondering if future episodes would be looking at material from the Tom Moldvay Basic Book. There is an appendix of inspirational material there that seems to focus on both adult and young adult fantasy books. Specifically, I would love to hear about authors I have heard of but have never read, such as Piers Anthony, Lloyd Alexander, and Lewis Carroll. Although I have to admit that I was a bit put off as a kid to see that Xanth was actually Florida. I also wondered if any of the inspirational material from the back of the Star Frontiers game would be worth discussing. Keep up the great work, DM Kojo.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: You know, I, I, I have not looked at the materials in the back of Star Frontiers, but I, I'm a huge fan of Lloyd Alexander. I don't even know how many times I've reread the Prydain series. As a matter of fact, we're doing the first book in that series next month. We're doing the book of three. Oh, oh timely. Good to know. <laughs> It is. Now, Disney kind of combined the first two books into the movie The Black Cauldron, and that wasn't really – it was a fun movie, but it, it really wasn't Lloyd Alexander. But now they're doing Lloyd Alexander again, so we'll see if they get that right
1: very cool. You know, I looked for that list of inspirational material from Star Frontiers. All I could really come up with on short notice was the fact that the races in that book were later regurgitated for Jammer and uh, Watsi's D20 future book.
0: You yep. know, repurposed so. sounds so much better than regurgitated. <laughs> <laughs> it,
1: Our know, past it, wretches
0: up with us, yes. It,
1: it could, but no.
0: <laughs> yeah, As far as Xanth, I mean, the, the maps of Xanth, changed a couple times in the books and yeah it was normally florida but i was living in florida when i discovered xanth so that was kind of cool but sometimes (laughs) it was also italy or korea it was all about peninsulas Hmm. which was kind of weird i'm still not a big xanth fan fan i like some of his other stuff but you can only take so many fantasy novels based around the concept of puns being magically real like <laughs> like
1: myth adventures
0: oh no like or Myth Conceptions. oh no like the person is running away and they throw a coin and he has to stop on a dime oh no. No. Uh, yeah no no. no 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 xanth is all about punishing the reader <laughs>
1: You know, my best friend was into that in high school. Piers Anthony was actually my first fantasy novels, but I went with the Apprentice Adept series.
2: I have to say I devoured Piers Anthony as a, I want to say, sixth and seventh grader. Right. And it was right spot on for that context because it's just on the edge of Ribald and the puns were not overwhelming. I read the Apprentice of Depth series, I read the *Zant* series, up until the point where I was current with whatever was being published. And then he obviously, he kept publishing beyond sort of my interest in the the series. But I think from a young adult novel standpoint, it's really a good series. At least it was for me, because it, it just had the the sort of fantastical elements and, and you're right. The, the sort of the pseudo realism, but that, that was what Xanth was, was a mirror. Like so many of the Piers Anthony stuff is a, is sort of a reflection of real world in the context of the fantasy element to sort of look at the real world in a different way. Florida, Sometimes was real Florida, and the characters found themselves confronting weird things like dragons that were actually cars, or or things like that. So <laughs> I definitely think it's it's right for that genre of young adult. Maybe that's what a good thing that dm's Kojo sort of referenced that because it, it definitely is not sort of that serious fantasy or yeah. thought provoking fantasy. I, I don't know. Um, I think
0: friends don't let friends read Xanth past Ochre Ochre. It's uh, <laughs> kind of my opinion.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Although incarnations of immortality. Yeah, still holds up.
0: Up through for the love of evil, and then but I,
2: I, it doesn't remind Turney me that. And was
0: okay, and then he added
2: another one later, and it's got awful. <laughs> My brother and I actually made a Xanth role playing game, and I hadn't thought about that in years. But we, wow. we created a whole system of rolling random powers because you know everybody in Xanth has a unique spell, right, or spell-like ability right. that comes out of them, and so we we were just playing with it with friends, and I hadn't thought about then like. I mean, it's thirty years, I guess. Uh I'll have to go dig that up and see if it's if it's worth yes. Ladies off. and gentlemen, Mark
0: <laughs> Bruner's Xanth role playing system coming to Kickstarter <laughs> in September.
2: Uh it's probably been done multiple times since then, but we were in the eighties, uh, very enthralled with the idea of having these kind of innate abilities that could be classified, I think is how it's kind of depicted in the novels. So I I would I mean, to go back to the DM Kojo, that obviously was an inspiration in some way, but it didn't necessarily lead to like a direct corollary from my adult role-playing life it was it was really more of a sandbox as a kid which is some of the important sandboxes you know in terms of how that yeah. shapes who you are as an adult but i like the pierce anthony the more science slash science fantasy uh like the apprentice of depth series i mean again the, these are sort of the which i apparently have to read they were the the hogwarts of my time in that i was growing along with some of these characters i was maturing as getting introduced to these mature elements i think Piers Anthony does a really good job of doing that for young adults.
1: Yeah, well put. Absolutely. And
2: Lloyd Alexander is another one I'm really looking forward to oh. to doing that. I'm glad you're picking that as a as a next pick, Bob. And that's one that I'm trying to get my kids to read now. Because I, I think it is maybe more accessible for kids than necessarily the, the, the hobbit and the language that's, you know, that Tolkien uses yeah. for our generation or for the generation that's not based in sort of that post Victorian high English, right? You know, kind of like, right. you know, it, it, it's a little bit more accessible until you, until you can kind of, you know, get into that genre. Other than the watch, um, Yes. <laughs> other than the witch, yeah. But, um,
0: but yeah, when I was a kid, I used to always look for the Dell Yearling line of books. When I went to a bookstore as a kid, if I saw Dell Yearling, I knew it was kind of my reading level. And I think I picked up the Pride and Series. I, I want to say it was like nine. And I still I still have those books and I still reread them because they hold up brilliantly. Right. But yeah, the storytelling is rich, but the characters aren't overly complicated. Right. They're right. not it's it's well yeah. and,
1: and we'll dig into that next time. Yeah, yes we will. <laughs> but I love the fact that Mark and his kids can maybe share homework for the next couple of weeks.
2: That's true. Yeah. Maybe we can make <laughs> an accelerate that. I so. have them on as guests. So
1: as far as <laughs> Lewis Carroll, I'm not familiar with his works beyond Alice in Wonderland, although even that sparks some great nostalgia for me. Um, I will say there are some similarities between his and C.S. Lewis's storytelling styles. So maybe Kojo, if you've got anything of either of theirs that you want to flip through, it should be fairly quick for you.
2: DM Kojo, thank you so much for, yeah. for the email. That was really that was really kind of like let me down at least well, a thought be- provoking. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Speaking of nostalgia, okay.
0: Why is this email older than our show? Uh. <laughs>
1: well our archives have been gone through we've got a small stack of current events on our list here bob kick us off
0: right then well let's talk about sanctum Securum super number one contest (laughs) our march winners were anton wilsbach with his second-level spell Illumination. Nice. Second place went to Ian Shears with the spell Sunbolts. And honorable mention went to Christopher Lee's Drain Vitality. And come on. Which
1: is kind yeah, of Yeah, if fun.
0: Christopher Lee is draining vitality, you kind of have to give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> Not that he hasn't heard oh, all of these jokes before, many, but yeah.
1: Yeah, how many times,
0: man? <laughs> so, so those are our March winners. Our April contest is is wrapping up. In like two days, and that is going to take us to May, and May's theme is maps so if you missed out on your chance to own a copy of 50 foot pharaoh zine module number one super number one food tower 2015 north texas rpg convention edition now is your chance to get one we are looking for maps for our may contest maps of interesting locations places creepy things whatever you feel your map whatever you do to your map that you feel gives it that DCC vibe. We want to see it. So send us your entries to the hub at sanctum.media or mail them to Sanctum Secorum Contest 4915 Rattlesnake Hammock Road, number 139, Naples, Florida 34113.
1: Address can be found on our website.
0: Winners will be drawn at random, and our winner receives a copy of Super Number One Food Tower, as well as a copy of pre-generated characters to go along with it. Our runner-up gets something from The Prize Closet of Mystery. We've also given away some great Appendix N. We've given away some swag to folks overseas that can't normally get it. We've got modules that have gone out plenty of stuff left in the prize closet of mystery enter
2: today nicely done please,
1: please empty our closet <laughs> and as always don't forget to check out the appendix N book club podcast judge jeff goad is also running a bi-weekly mcc campaign at the brooklyn strategist and his podcast co-host on the other, other podcast, Hoy is running DCC there. See the DCC NYC meetup group for updates on book club meetings or find Jeff online.
2: Nixik is running DCC funnels from 2 to 6 p.m. every Saturday at Tacoma Games in Tacoma, Washington. Timothy Drennan is running a bi-weekly
0: open table Thursday night DCC game at Geek Out in Burleson, Texas.
1: Jeff Bernstein continues running DCC RPG at Games Plus in Mount Prospect, Illinois. You can find Jeff online or check with the store for more details.
2: Tim Desheen is hosting bi-weekly DCC campaign at Revival Brewing Company in Cranston, Rhode Island.
0: The DCC Road Crew is going wild in northern Indiana. Judge Joan of Troyer is running two weekly games every Thursday night from 6 to 10 p.m. You can find her running an open table in Better World Books in Goshen, Indiana. And she is also running at Secret Door Games in Elkhart, Indiana every Saturday, rotating on a bi-weekly basis between an established campaign and a table for younger players ages 11 through 15.
1: Mario Garcia is running a regular game on Thursday evenings at fun Again Games in Eugene, Oregon. He's also running Hypercube of Might there on Free RPG Day, but we'll hit that in a minute.
2: As a reminder, Chromcast, a weird fiction podcast, is covering the adventures of Farford and Gray Mouser throughout Season 6. As you anxiously await the release of DCC Lankmar, give these shows a listen. TheChromcast.blogspot.com
1: And we are so anxiously awaiting that.
2: Chris
0: Loricella is running DCC at Bell Book and Comic in Dayton, Ohio. Look for the guy in the DCC
1: shirt. Christian Bird is hosting a regular open game on Tuesdays at the Beer Temple in Chicago.
2: Speaking of great religions. Mm Hmm. And as a reminder, North Texas RPG Con is June 7th through 10th at the Westin DFW Airport Hotel. And it's always well attended by the DCC crowd. And there's plenty of games to meet everyone's game there Will there be players. more
0: Velociraptor Claw classics?
2: <laughs> Not this year, but there will be some other things that I'll be running.
0: Well, free RPG day, June 16th is coming up pretty quick, and in an effort to collect all the simultaneous DCC MCC awesomeness that will be held worldwide this year, we're asking folks to hop into our free RPG day community that we've set up on G+, and post about it. Give us your friendly local game store venue, your location, the time you're running, and if you know ahead of time what adventure you're treating your players to. The end result, we will, just like last year, have a big list where people can go through, find games in their area, and and be able to take part in the holiday of our people
1: and of course gen con indie august 2nd through 5th of this year probably a couple days on either end of that too especially for the dcc crowds don't forget doug con after hours
2: i think registration is coming up in may for players who want to get into their favorite dcc judges games or even into the mm. new expanded tournaments uh, that goodman Tournament games Four more days remain in the damn magazine Kickstarter. It has passed all stretch goals. And additionally, Bears Want to Kill You by friend of the show, Ethan Nicole, is way into its stretch goal territory. Yeah. Please go and support both of these Kickstarters. They are well worth it. Come Speaking on.
1: Of Paul Wolf and Co.
0: <laughs> I know, yeah. Right. Well, and Ethan Nicole, creator of Axe Cop, supporter of our show, we will be releasing more Bear Mageddon monsters. During, the, uh, nice. during that Kickstarter. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So on that note, create more content. See your creation in the DCC community's only free monthly e-zine. In addition to the contest going through June, reminder, maps this month. Maps, maps. Prize yeah. Closet of Mystery. Keep an eye out for our future topics. Again. Next one's going to be Pradane. And we can include your material in the show companion. We would love to see what sort of things you've created based on your appendix and readings. And, yeah, there's that prize closet thing. Zines, modules, appendix, and all that good stuff. Oh, say it. Say it. Come on. Prize closet! <laughs> of mystery? <laughs> prize closet of mystery! Submit your creations to us at thehub at sanctum.media or find us on the regular social media sites. And if you're running road crew games, drop us a line to let us know. Even better, join the Guardians of Secrets. Send us your upcoming events for inclusion, and once you've got a couple of those in, you'll be inducted into the roles of Guardians of Secrets, able to enter your own events directly onto the calendar. Members will periodically receive exclusive items for their tables, such as last year's free RPG Day companion and other and
0: this year's free RPG Day companion.
1: That's another secret benefit. I'm getting to it. We've also got a prize closet. <laughs> it's not
0: secret now. Prize
1: closet. <laughs> <is free. laughs> <Would> you stuff. <stop? laughs> Also working on some automation for recurring events. And again, (laughs) the hub at sanctum.media. If you're listening and looking for a game, go to sanctum.media. Click on the community events link scroll all the way down for the full venue and host judge info on those events in the meantime if you are enjoying the show drop us an email comment on the podcast chime in on our g plus page or help us by posting a review on itunes those ratings and reviews help new listeners (laughs) find the podcast please? And be sure to visit us on Google+, mention us on Facebook, ignore us on Elo. and uh, we're, we're not doing that new stuff that's been emailed around this month either. We do hope we've inspired you for gaming-related things, even if not the social media aspects, and uh, thanks for listening!
0: You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum Podcast. Join us in June as the Sanctum Sequorum explores the works of Lloyd Alexander with The Book of Three. The Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been a production of Sanctum Media. Copyright
2: 2018